What's your favorite Christmas song? Everybody on three, say it. One, two, three. Jingle Bells. Good. Good for you. Um, I have to tell you mine, uh, since I heard about it a couple years ago, is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but the version by DMX, um, if you know that one. If you grew up in the like late 90s, early 2000s, you know DMX is not who you'd expect to sing a song like that, so it's, it's phenomenal. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's like so funny. So that's just for like some of you in the room. Those that don't get it, I'm sorry you had to tolerate my little reference here, but if you want to... You should uh, YouTube Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by DMX later. Don't do it right now because you will distract me if I hear that song in the background somewhere. Um, one of you is going to do it. I shouldn't have even said it. Uh, but, yeah, we're exploring um, Christmas, this, the Christmas season. We're exploring the classic, uh, some classic uh, Christian Christmas songs. Um, not like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeers, but songs that um, the church, people of God, for many, many years, some hundreds of years, have been singing these songs around this time of year, around Christmas time. Um, and they've just stuck with uh, God's people for a while. So we thought it would be meaningful, this is the second week of this, to um, explore some of those songs and some of the stories in the Bible behind them. You know how sometimes you just sing a song and you don't really even know what you're saying? Um, hoping that a little bit, maybe each week that we're doing this leading up to Christmas, will open up part of not just to know what a song means, but to understand God's story and to understand who Jesus is for you. Um, that's the intent, really, behind wanting to do this series that we're in called The Songs of Christmas. So um, today we are going to uh, focus on the song that we just sang a little bit ago, um, O Come All Ye Faithful. It's not called um, O Come Let Us Adore Him. That's not the name of the song. That's really confusing to me <laughs> because I looked for that for like an hour earlier this week and I couldn't find it. But uh, let me give you a little bit of background on that song. Um, it has been attributed to different artists uh, over the years, but... Um, most widely credited to this man named John Francis Wade. He, uh, let's, let's take a look at him. He looks like he'd be fun to hang out with. Um, actually, he does. I would have to wonder, tell me about those puffs on the side of your cheek. What did you use? What kind of beard butter or whatever did you use to get those boys to, like, pop? <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, there, he, he unlike, it's unlikely that he penned the original of it. So it's like, it's, it's weird because they go like, he wrote it, but like, did he? It's one of those songs that for a long time, we just, we just don't know who wrote the original. Um, and essentially, the, the, the hymn that we sang, um, O Come All Ye Faithful, became really popular once it was translated into English um, in like the 1840s by an Anglican priest. And that's one of the songs that have just stuck with the church for, what, like 300 years almost? It's crazy. Um, but the original lyrics to that song had an ending to it that's been dropped, uh, and it made worshipers feel a little uncomfortable, um, but it's actually pretty deep. I don't know, did I put the lyrics to it? I think I did. Um, go to the next slide a minute. Yes, there it is. So this is um, the ending that had been, has been dropped, but it goes like this. Uh, wait, so it would go like this. We hope to die in shouting. We hope to die in shouting. We hope to die in shouting. The Lord will provide. <sighs> Merry Christmas. 
Um, this is a song. Thanks. That means a lot. Um, this is a song whose author is really not known. And yet we sing it. Um, that's something that I actually kind of love. Um, there's two things that I love about that. About a song whose uh, composer, we're not really sure of who it, who it is. Um, there's two, two things I love about that. One I'm going to tell you right now, and one I'll tell you a little bit later. Um, one of the reasons is that um, it connects to the story that we're going to look at today. That this mysterious person, whoever it was, or people, collectively wrote this song. And it describes a group of people that, that came out of nowhere. The story that we're going to read today. They are somewhat of a surprise that they're included in the birth story of Jesus. And I think just like this song, we don't know who wrote it. Like, where did these people come from that we're going to talk about? Um, and why are they included by Matthew in this story? Um, and I'm a sucker for the mysterious. Um, I am, I think, my best self when I'm full of wonder and mystery about what is. <laughs> Science, song, being a dad, being a husband, being a pastor, what makes snow snow, all that stuff. Um, so for the next two weeks, we're going to look at the same passage in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And today we're going to look at that group of people um, that are called the Magi. And then next week we're going to look at a specific person that's mentioned in here who was out of their mind, <laughs> but serves as a, a fascinating contrast to Jesus. So let's read uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, spoiler alert, he's the guy we're talking about next week, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, that's our, our focus today, and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? How, how, were, how did they know? Were they looking for this? Um, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called to, then he called together all the people's chiefs and teachers of the law, so Herod, this king, brought together all of the religious leaders that would know the context of where this like, savior or this uh, king of the Jews is going to come. He asked where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, so he's quoting a prophecy from the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means the least of the rulers in Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly to find out from them the exact time the star had appeared. When he, then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod... 
they returned to their country by another route. So let's talk about the Magi. Um, who were these people? Who were these guys? Um, when we read these stories, I don't know if you felt this uh, in your adult life or childhood, but when we, we read these stories, we all we the image I get is the precious moments dolls. So you can click that next slide. The precious, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like the three magi, they are so stinking cute. They've got their little pots and they're just taking a precious little walk down to precious little Bethlehem to have a precious little moment with precious little Jesus. Um, that's five preciouses in a row, man. I need to watch, never mind, um, these cute little characters. But um, let me tell you what we do know about them. So much like happens often with Bible stories, and, and look, we want to like make it understandable for children, and, but sometimes in that translation we lose what these people actually were, right? So they weren't beautiful, big-eyed, little precious moment people. They were um, very powerful individuals. Um, in the Persian Empire... The great king was known as the king of kings. So the Persian Empire in Persia, to the east of where uh, Israel was, maybe 500-mile journey, was the divine ruler, they believed, uh, on earth for the universal god Ahura Mazda. Um, Not Mazda like the car, but Mazda like whatever his name means. Um, (laughs) But these magi, these people, were the royal priest assistants to the king of kings, the most powerful king, the great king in that region, um, particularly in communication to the gods to ensure the productivity, safety, and welfare of that king. So they were like the king's sidekick who would interpret dreams and um, serve as an advisor to the king. Um, there's a couple of ancient sources I think are just kind of cool to tell you about. Um, one of them, you can go to the next slide, uh, says the Magi, so this is written in like 7 BCE, so around this time. The Magi attended the Persian kings, guiding them in their relations with the gods. So they're kind of like their, their um, pastors, basically, but of a um, polytheistic pagan uh, persuasion. <laughs> Uh, Another ancient source says, The Magi interpret the will of the gods as instituted by King Cyrus, who never failed to sing hymns to the gods at daybreak and to sacrifice daily to whatsoever deity the Magi directed. Uh, Thus the institutions established by him at that time have been continued in, in force with each successive king even to this day. So that's written uh, by... This person, Crypedia, it's like Wikipedia, um, 400, like 400 years after this time. So these magi, the point, what is it? Um, are pagan, Gentile, religious people who are universally recognized as being gifted in wisdom, dream interpretation, and astrology, which is fascinating. This like stargazing, um, along with being the, the mouthpiece, so they believed anyways, for the gods to the king, the king of kings. Which, if you've heard that phrase before, it makes sense, right? Like, that's, that's who we say Jesus is, right? But it's in contrast to this king of kings that Jesus is born into the world. Um, so we actually have uh, these... Um, why, why do we have these guys in our biblical narrative uh, being directed to and arriving at the birth of Jesus? It's 
It's strange that the story would include them. The story would include these people who were not Jewish uh, from a distant land coming to the birth of Jesus. Um, We have another historian called Richard Horsley who says this, The story in Matthew 2 contains not the slightest, this is interesting, hint of criticism of the Magi's astrology, which is astronomy is studying star patterns. Astrology is like assigning religious meaning to it. So astronomy is more modern. Astrology is more um, ancient, but still practiced in some places. But um, the star is precisely the way they are led to the newborn king. Um, It would have been strange strange and familiar to the Jewish hearers of the story that these guys show up. So to the people to whom Jesus was born into, to that group who was looking for their Savior, looking for the Messiah, the fact that these people are in the story is, is quite weird. It, it is familiar because in, in the Old Testament stories, there is a, a guy, a Jewish guy named Daniel, who actually um, became one of these wise men uh, when the Israelites were taken off into captivity or slavery in Babylon. This was hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. Except Daniel, when he was in, uh, in Babylon, never bowed down to the gods of Babylon. He remained faithful to the living God, um, even when it almost cost him his life. So the Magi, if you're a Jewish person hearing this story around the time of Jesus, you are recalling God's faithfulness through the story of Daniel while they were in a far-off land that's over there in the east. The same region where these men called the Magi were coming from. So Daniel was a Magi which I actually want to show you a map. So if we look at this map, um, Jerusalem is right there. Oh, not high enough. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then, which is where uh, this, the story begins to take place, and Bethlehem's close enough to there. Uh, but it says that they came from the east, which is likely around that, like, Babylon, Persian. I wish I could jump that high, darn it. <laughs> I need a laser pointer. That'd make me an official pastor if I had a little laser pointer or a stick that was long enough to, like, slap it. Um, <laughs> Oh, heavens. Um, So these men came at least from, like, Babylon. That's like a 500-mile journey. It's not a precious moment figurine stepping out of their snuggies. It's a long, costly, traveling journey. From the east, they apparently were looking at the stars, interpreting this story from 500 miles away. They came all that distance because they were reading the stars. The Magi included in this story would have also been strange. So it would have been familiar because of Daniel, but would have been strange. These Magi aren't Jewish priests. They're not part of the ordained fellowship of Jewish Priests. They are pagan astrologers that dabble in a little bit of magic, a lot of it, uh, while working for political forces and leaders that have a history of oppressing God's people. What are they doing here? What a, what a surprise that these strange people who believe strange things different things from what God's people did 
now are finding their way to the birth scene of Jesus. What are they doing there? Their worldviews were far different than each other. To Matthew, the recorder of the story that we read um, in the Bible, these magi symbolize something, that uh, the world is being drawn to the true king of kings. They came, the magi, from the place where this king of Persia was claimed to be the king of all kings. And yet, this new king is born in a feeding trough that looks something like this. Let me read to you another quote uh, by N.T. Wright. It says, Matthew is not telling us all to satisfy, telling us this all to satisfy our, our astronomical curiosity. Nor is he offering us the kind of cozy picture book story we have created for ourselves out of it with strange but gentle oriental, his word, not mine. Kings bring gifts to a child in a stable. What he tells us is political dynamite. Jesus, Matthew is saying, is the true king of the Jews. And old Herod, the one we'll talk about next week, is the false one, the usurper and imposter. This story is situated within the Jewish mind, the Jewish story. But it's transcending that narrative now to include people from all over the world, announced by these magi from the east. Like from our paradigm today, it would be like, uh, I've been to Thailand before, beautiful country, um, beautiful people uh, on a missions trip there. And it was so fascinating to get to see the, the bright orange Buddhist monks, boys on up to 80, 90-year-old people, uh, very peaceful individuals, think differently about the world in, in certain ways. Um, but it would be like if we're reading this story with Buddhist monks showing up from the east to the birth scene of Jesus, it'd be a little confusing to go, what, like, what are they doing here? Why are they in the story? Not as an ethnic... Um, Discrimination, but as a like a theme-wise, a a, uh, a religious theology conversation, wouldn't that feel strange to to maybe our modern minds? But you can see how this text would have been deeply challenging for the, their world back then, which is such a theme in the Bible that we often miss that God uses unlikely, speaks to unlikely, invites unlikely people all over the place. In this story, not being an exception to that. God was speaking to and through these foreign astrologers who were just looking for this king of kings, and they seem to have been drawn from their foreign land, 500 miles away, months of travel, to meet this baby. How big is Jesus? That night was maybe quiet in some ways, but it was also maybe really, really, really loud. That night was maybe a night, but it was also an extended period of time where these individuals were led mysteriously by God to this scene, to meet this one whom we call Emmanuel, God with us. They travel all the way there, and then they get to the room and they bring those classic items. What are the three gifts that they bring? 
Um, these are expensive gifts, and it even says, fit for a king, that they bring. Um, y'all know about gold, precious metal, not going to go into that. Frankincense, it's a sort of spice. I have some frankincense up here with me as well. If you'd like to eat it, I don't know what that would do to you, <laughs> so don't. Um, <laughs> but we also, myrrh shows up there, and if you showed up today and you thought maybe the building was on fire, um, it wasn't. This is actually myrrh from Israel. Um, that's what that smell is. And I, I had to laugh when a couple of you were going down into the, like, um, the, wherever the electric box is to go, like, something's on fire. <laughs> but it wasn't that. It was me lighting this little thingy here. Um, myrrh. Fascinating. The first time that myrrh shows up in the Bible, um, it's the main ingredient uh, that would be added to olive oil to make the anointing oil, it's in Exodus 30, uh, that would be used, so God's instructing his people to make this anointing oil that would be used to anoint the tabernacle, to all the items in this place where God said, I will come and dwell there. My presence is going to be with you. But first, you have to take this oil, put myrrh in it, a couple of other items, but myrrh is the the predominant item, um, where they would anoint all these items and prepare the, the home for, I don't know if it's supposed to be burning that much, but it is. We don't have fire extinguishers in here, so we are. Um, <laughs> but uh, don't be afraid. It's okay. <laughs> Just in case. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, and here, this item is in the birth of Jesus. I'm hoping you catch a little bit of waff of this now. Um, it shows up in the birth moment of Jesus. It's, it's what that room would have smelled like. Hopefully it was also full of lots of sheep manure and people who maybe haven't showered in a long time. But so are we in this room. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, man, too much. A little extra today. Uh, what's fascinating to me, though, this myrrh, um, it's nothing magical about it necessarily, but it shows up in Jesus' birth. It shows up when Jesus is hanging on the cross. They mixed it with some wine. Uh, it would be a way to disorient you and basically get you high to not experience the pain. He denied it. And it also showed up as an embalming agent when Jesus was being put into the tomb, which maybe would have been what Jesus smelled like when he came out of the tomb. I think that's just a little cool. So I wanted to burn it for you here to see what that smelled like to you, but it's also pretty crazy. It shows up in that scene, and it was expensive. To them, it was a gift offered to a king. The Magi traveled far to get there. They gave these expensive gifts, and apparently, God spoke to them in a dream, as we read, to go home a different way so that they would avoid Herod, the crazy dude we'll tell you about next week, because he would have most certainly killed them after he found out where Jesus was. They left for their own country by a different road. That was a big risk. If Herod had found that out, and we're not told if he did, or if he pursued them, um, then it would have certainly been on their heads. They took the scenic route, which means it was also more expensive for them to get home on an indirect route back to where they came from. And when they get home, they also have to answer to the king of kings in Persia, why they went to Podunk, 
Bethlehem in the first place. Oh, you know, to see and generously give to the one who was born the king of all kings. It's not the precious moment figurines. This is, this is a big cost for these people to see Jesus. And we're left to wonder if the Magi, after they have this moment with Jesus, if they went home and if they traveled back to where they came from and if they went back to life as usual. We're not told. Did they go home and just continue what they were doing? Or did this story, this encounter with the new king of kings change everything? Or could they never return to normal? What about you and me? Do we really believe that this baby who was born poor and laid in a feeding trough in a sheep's cave made for animals, that he is the savior of the world and the king of the universe. Do we believe that every Christmas? Are we reminded of that? Or do we just go back to normal? I think when Jesus has made himself real to you in the way that it has to be personal and unique to everyone, but when he has, when you can't deny it anymore, it's impossible to go back to normal. When Jesus has truly become the king of your heart, can you really read these stories or celebrate Christmas casually? This story isn't about a gentle hallmark classic. It's about people looking for a savior, even people who are very far off, who find him. And when you ponder about how absolutely astonishing it is that God himself would enter human history in human flesh at the bottom of social hierarchy to bring salvation to the world, that is something that makes me want to lift my hands and say thank you. But let me bring you back to the second thing I really love about the mystery of the author of O Come All Ye Faithful. I love that that song, because there is no author, we can, we can kind of sort of own it together. We are, the, we are the authors, in a way, of that song. We're invited to live out its lyrics. O Come, Let Us Adore Him, not just reading the story, but by entering into it as these magi, these people from the distance who gave so much to find this Messiah. Those lyrics, we hope to die in shouting. We hope to die in shouting. We hope to die in shouting. The Lord will provide. That's, I, there's so much depth there, I can't even go into all of it right now. But this season that we're in is called Advent. We're waiting for this deliverer, this Savior, this Messiah to come. I kind of wish those lyrics were on the end of that song still. It'd be more, it'd be confusing to explain. It's, uh, it takes a high degree of commitment to actually anchor yourself even as you die in shouting to the fact that God will provide. But we are people gathered here today as we just sang that song, drawn to the mysterious incarnation of God in the person called Jesus. God provided The Lord will provide. God provided Jesus to the world as a way back home. No matter how far off anyone is. 
giving gifts as costly. The Magi traveled far, risked much to see Jesus, but in the end, it is God who gives the most costly gift of all. Christmas celebrates Jesus' birth, but his, his birth is really only worth celebrating in light of what he did on the cross and through the empty tomb. So what is it costing you this year? Beyond what it costs to get presents for everybody. Where can we travel like the Magi did? Where can we look for Jesus in ways that perhaps in seasons past you never have? It's likely that Jesus is waiting for you there to show you something new about himself and invites your generosity back for the gift that he's given of himself. So come, let us adore him. Let's pray. Uh, King Jesus, that is what you are. Born into circumstances that are negligible according to the power systems that this world operates by. You put yourself into a low place. And yet you are king. You came to a small but fairly insignificant part of the world to a people group that has been under the boot of oppressors for forever. You went to the bottom only to show us that you plan to redeem all of creation from the very core of it in its fallen nature to the new redemptive world and redemptive story that you have in mind. And we have you. And I know that this time of waiting that we still might all feel in certain ways kind of feels like another advent that we know you are who you say you are, but we're also waiting to feel the full effect of that. We come to you, King Jesus, in faith as your people have done for thousands of years now. Many of us in need of a lot of help right now. Many of us in need of wonder and curiosity sparked in our souls again. We come to you, King of the universe and ask you to provide what we need today. We enter your throne room, which (laughs) was a barn, and we receive from you today what you want to give us. Amen.